happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Uh, it could happen here is the podcast that you're listening to. I'm Robert Evans, uh, the person that you're listening to, and one of the people who does this podcast. Boy, what a what a glorious introduction that mm-hmm. was. Let me also introduce some human beings who you might know. First, we have Chris. And and we have James, uh, our 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 correspondents in the field. Uh, joining us today also is James's Spanish Civil War era Mosin Nagant. Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. very happy that it's joining us. It's going to make contributions throughout the uh, yeah. throughout the episode. Just going to it's a bolt. It's an antique bolt action bolt. rifle served mm-hmm. in three world wars, counting yeah, the current that, one. That's right. Yep, and it's about to uh, it's about to kick off. Uh, yeah, this one now, which uh, it might yeah. it might be it might be two in the L column for the most in the gun. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's 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 had a it's served a mixed bag. Um, yep. Anyway, fascist. Uh, we're recording this the day of the elections, so everybody's having a horrible one. Um, yeah, and I'm having a firearm. Yeah, yeah. I I I did. I'm still hoping my my Tech Nine comes in before. Uh, Oregon votes on its next ballot measure. Anyway, um, today I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I've been thinking about kind of constantly, which is um, 
it's called effective altruism. And it's the short end of this is that like it is a style uh, of thinking about charitable giving that Elon Musk in particular has recently highlighted as like how he thinks about things. It's very popular with the billionaire set who are who who are deeply invested in getting people to think that they're saving the world, right? Um, the folks who want to be seen as like looking ahead and 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 set, protecting the future of mankind and, and saving the world, um, but not doing it through things like paying, you know, more taxes and supporting, you know, less money being in politics and and all that kind of jazz. Like not not anything that would would actually harm their their personal ability to exercise power. So it, it's gotten kind of attacked recently because it's associated with guys like Musk and because he is markedly less popular now than he was, let's say, 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> 40, but I wanted to talk billion about- billion dollars ago. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk because effective altruism, which is an actual movement, there's like organizations that espouse this. There's hundreds of millions of dollars in charitable giving that gets handed out under the aegises of effective altruism. And as a heads up, like most of it's fine. Like most of it's- charities to like get let out of water and stuff like it's not like effective altruism is not comprehensively some sort of like scam by the wealthy it's more of a an honest theory about how charitable giving ought to work that has been adopted by the hyper wealthy as a justification for fucked up shit and married to something called long-termism which we will be talking about in a little bit but i want to talk about where the concept of effective altruism comes from if you read articles about this thing most people who study it will say that it kind of this got started as a modern movement in 1971 with an Australian philosopher named Peter Singer Uh, and Singer wrote an article titled famine affluence and morality Um, I think it was actually published in 1972 I I don't know one of the two uh, 71 or 72 And, and the essay basically argued that there's no difference morally between your obligation to help a person dying on the street in front of your house. Like if a dude gets hit by a car in front of your house, you are not more morally obligated to help him than you are morally obligated to help people who are dying in Syria, you know? Um, and obviously like there's a, a, a version of truth to that, which is that we're all responsible for each other. And internationalism is the only actual path away from the nightmare. And when we do things like ignore authoritarians massacring their people it inevitably comes back to affect us and like fuel the the growth of an authoritarian nightmare domestically that is very true um but also there's a fundamental silliness in it because one reason why there is a moral difference between helping a person dying in the street in front of you and somebody who's in danger in i don't know southern china is that like you can immediately help the person in front of your house, right? Like if somebody gets hit, by, you have the ability to immediately render life-saving aid. It's actually quite difficult to help somebody who is, for example, getting shot at by the government uh, in Tibet, right? Like not that you do, don't have a moral responsibility to that person, but your moral responsibility to actually immediately take action when somebody is bleeding out is higher than your responsibility yeah. to try to figure out how to help people in distant parts of the globe. Um, this is more nuanced than I think a lot of, uh, especially like rich assholes like to, to th- it's more nuanced than like the, the, I shouldn't say rich assholes. What, what's the problem with Please this do. is that it's the, this is the kind of revelation. Like when you start talking this way that, that feeds really well into a fucking Ted talk. It, 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 it's a, a perfect yeah. fix for that morality. Yeah. Whereas the reality is like a lot more nuanced where, and, and number one, it's also like. 
Well, the the kind of help that you would render to somebody who's been hit by a car in front of your house is very different and requires really different resources than the kind of help you would give people in, say, again, like Syria, who are being murdered by their government, right? If somebody gets hit by a car in front of your house, you run out with a fucking tourniquet and a bleed kit and you call 911, right? Those are the resources that you can immediately use. If Bashar al-Assad is firing poison gas at uh, protesters in you know, Aleppo, well, your your stop the bleed kit is not going to help with that one way or the other, right? A very different set of resources are necessary. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's it's foolish to compare them. Anyway, Singer did, um, and his essay was a big hit. It's often called like a sleeper hit for for young people who are kind of getting into the uh, you know the charity industrial complex, um, or at least we're considering it. Now, I found an interview with a woman named Julia Wise, who currently works at the Center for Effective Altruism, um, and she was a uh, uh, started out as a social worker. Like to give you an idea of the kind of people who got into this, when she read Weiss's article, um, she was a social worker. She kind of fell in love with the concept, and when it started becoming a thing in like the seventies and eighties, uh, it was as she described, "quote a bunch of philosophers and their friends, and nobody had a bunch of money." So it was also more when Singer put it out kind of a a way like a way of people kind of debating how to think about charity, which is is fine. People should always be like exploring stuff like that. So it's it's not I don't want to be like going after Singer too well, I, I do a little bit. Um because Singer, after kind of his movement has a couple of decades to grow, winds up doing a TED talk. Um and the TED talk winds up kind of electrifying a very specific chunk of the American techno set. Um, and it you can see kind of in in some of the writing on this, like the way in which his talking about sort of the morality of charity has gotten flattened over the years. Quote, which is yeah. the better thing to do, to provide a guide dog to one blind American or cure 2,000 people of blindness in developing countries? Uh... Um which is like I I don't know both there's resources to do both um we again yeah. if you for example in the United States were to tax the billionaire class and corporations a lot more you could provide that blind person in the United States uh with with free healthcare in a way that many countries do um and we could also continue or even expand charitable giving maybe if we were to do stuff like spend less money on our military again it's like a false <laughs> choice like it's worth but but of course it's it's because the reason this choice is there is because they're thinking about they're thinking about helping people purely in the form of like noblesse oblige charity right they're they're thinking about periods like rich like things that get improved when rich people put money into them um, yeah so obviously it, we should help the, the you know one of these groups before the other because it's more effective and yada 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 yeah. Yeah, well, and, and, I, and I think I think that was one of the things that like there, 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 there's there's a second way you can look at the original sort of problem of we have the same ethical responsibility of someone who gets hit by a car or someone who's on the other side of the world is that like the other way you can look at that is like I don't care about what's happening to someone on the other side of the world so I don't have to care about this person who got hit by a car and that seems yeah. like <laughs> the thing yeah that these people are doing it's like well uh, eh, it seems I don't really like have to care about this person here because there's someone <laughs> over there. Yeah, I did like I can see like how this lines up with some of these like like bigger like meta ethical kind of perspectives on on what equality is and, and what like your ethical obligations are. But then yeah, it it seems to just kind of be like 
a, a very clear, like very clear slippery slope to making kind of Malthusian excuses for doing fuck all. Yep, right. That, that's that's where the story's heading. So, oh, good. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating Pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Early 2000s, he does like a TED Talk. You know, the, the momentum around this idea starts to build. And it, it really gets a shot in the arm in 2013 with the work of an author named Eric Friedman. Uh, Friedman's new book, or Friedman's book at the time that was new, was called Reinventing Philanthropy, A Framework for More Effective Giving. 
Um, and he kind of he kind of extends the arguments that Singer is making. One of the things that he does is he he contrasts what St. Jude's Children's Research Hospitals are doing to like research children's medical or like like illnesses that that kids suffer and treatments for them um, with the Malaji Provincial Hospital in Angola. Um, and he kind of contrasts two patients who are being served at the different hospitals for life-threatening conditions and concludes, quote, I'd probably also be very angry at the donors who are continually funding St. Jude and leaving Melange Provincial woefully under-resourced. Why are the patients of St. Jude so much more worthy of life? Mm. And like, <laughs> yeah, that, if we what a aside, ridiculous way to think about a yeah, children's hospital. Fucking asinine. And the yeah. fact that like many of the people who are doing these fucking TED Talks and contributing to this like a global tech class are the same people who are making fucking millions of dollars off the pharmaceutical industry, which continues to neglect the diseases that people like in the colonial periphery suffer from because there's no profit in selling them drugs and instead you're selling baldness cures to people in America, right? Like Yes. We can yeah, I mean like you are, we, you 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 could if we just if if every single person who had a t- who's gotten a TED talk had all of their wealth expropriated tomorrow we could fund both of these hospitals. Exactly. It yeah, is yes, yeah, it, yeah. The it, world it would be better. It's fundamentally a kind of obscenity to look at pharmaceutical company CEOs making hundreds of millions and billions of dollars selling people often literal poison and jacking up the price of things like insulin to look at these tech CEOs accumulating tens of billions of dollars and to say donations to this children's hospital are robbing an Angolan hospital. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I won't be paying my taxes. Uh, yeah. Why don't you right. go fuck yourself? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And anyway, like, but the, this is like, you can see who this appeals to, right? If you've like the kind of people who love the Freakonomics books, which are bullshit, regressive, <laughs> bad statistics, yeah, yeah. bad can I, okay, statistics. Can, 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 I, can, I, can I tell bad. one Freakonomics story? Please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one of my professors at U Chicago was a political science guy, um, or I guess he's public policy. And there, there's, there's a thing, there's a thing the Freakonomics guy wrote where he was trying to prove that money doesn't actually influence, uh, like doesn't actually influence elections. Yes, he yeah, what, what yeah, of his yeah. real bangers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and you know what my 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 professor wrote wrote a paper about that, which is that you know and the, 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 again this this is a sort of perfect example of how dumb this guy is. That he doesn't. This is how economists think, right? Like they they when they when they go into a field, they go in thinking they already know everything and they can prove sort of yes. whatever they want because okay. You know, but the, the, the thing this guy doesn't understand, right, is that like. And this is the thing most people in the U.S. do not understand about how Congress works is that like all of the shit that's happening on the floor of Congress, all of those votes, that is not that is not real Congress, right? That that is fake Congress. Nothing nothing important actually happens there. All of the important stuff in Congress happens in committees, and so you can't figure out whether money is doing anything by measuring its effects on like votes on the floor because floor votes are bullshit. Every all of the important stuff has already by the time by the time a floor vote happens, yeah. all of the important political stuff has already happened. And so he did this, he did this whole thing where he was, you know, he had, he had this great, uh, uh, he had, he had this great metric called like, uh, it, oh God, it, it, was, it was called like, like the, 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 the dairy cow coefficients, which is like measuring <laughs> like how, how someone should vote versus like how many dairy cows run. And it turns out, you know, if you look at what these people do in committee, no, yeah, hey, look, it turns out uh, lobbying money is unbelievably effective, but because this fucking guy had like... And this is something that, like, like the, the sort of distinction between, between Congress, like, on the floor and Congress and committee, like, there's a president whose name I'm forgetting who has this famous line that, like, Congress and committee is Congress at work, Congress on the floor is Congress at play or something like that. Like, it's, it's like, this is just, like, basic shit that if you know literally anything about how a field works, 
you cannot yeah, do yeah, the thing yeah, with Freakonomics guy you, does. If you want to, if you want to, if you want a good breakdown of why the Freakonomics guy is full of shit, uh, Michael Hobbs and uh, Peter uh, Shamshiri, I think is his last name, have a new podcast called If Books Could Kill, and they break down with like citations and everything, like why everything in that book is horseshit. But like the reason why it's I'll, I'll, the only thing I'll disagree with you on, Chris, is I don't think he's an idiot. I think he's very intelligent. And I think the thing that he's smart to do is he recognizes that there's a specific type of person and engineers and programmers are very likely to be this type of person who kind of fundamentally like they're oppositional defiant. If somebody if something if people say like, well, this is good or this is bad. Um, they're going to take the want to take the opposite stance. And if you can provide them a way to like feel like they're enlightened and smart and actually looking at the data by doing it, then they'll take the opposite stance on stuff like it's bad to let people buy elections or it's good to fund children's hospitals just because somebody's made them feel smart for being an asshole. Um, that's what the Freakonomics yeah. guy does. Malcolm Gladwell does a subtler version of yes. it as a general yeah. rule. Oh, um, and that's yeah, what it, that's what that fu- fucking Friedman is doing in this this book in 2013. I found a good review of it in the Stanford Social Innovation Review. Um, okay. That is uh, pretty scathing, like surprisingly scathing, considering it's it's written by a bunch of like Stanford nerds. This approach amounts to little more than charitable imperialism, whereby my just cause is just and yours to one degree or another is a waste of precious resources. This approach is not informed giving. Um, and I think that that does a pretty good job of uh, uh, summarizing what I think is fucked up about it. There's another thing that's really messed up, which is that one of the conclusions that they gets come that they come to here is that um, they don't recommend or there's an organization called Givewell that kind of gets gets formed as a result of yeah. the, the book Friedman writes. And they recommend not to deliver like not to donate money to disaster assistance in the wake of the Japanese tsunami um, and oppose disaster relief donations in general um, because, quote, and this is from Friedman, most of those killed by disasters could not have been saved by donations. Um, which is number one, like that's the, the donations are about like yeah. rebuilding communities. Yeah. Generally, it's not like about the saving lives. Usually it's about like, well, all of the infrastructure was destroyed and it must be rebuilt. Um, but OK, guy. Well, yeah. It's annoying to you because it's like it, it's it's not like there's not good critiques of like specifically orgs like the Red Cross. Oh, it's all where, fucked like, up. The every yeah, single. Yeah, yes. I, yeah. I have but seen, but their critique is like the worst possible. Like, yeah. The actual uh, critiques are yeah. that every single large charitable organization is fucked up. And if you go and talk to people on the ground, they will bitch. Like if you go to fucking war zones, people bitch more about NGOs than the folks shooting at them half the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and w- yeah, they bitch about it being inefficient, about the stuff they're given being like bad quality or like um, like nonsense, like just being handed out to be handed out, which is a thing that happens sometimes. And they bitch about well-paid aid workers staying in hotels and showing up for a couple of hours to like uh, do a photo op. Um, yeah. There's also more incisive, like, you know, th- that's not to say none of it's useful. Like, for example, as many complaints as people have, everyone I've known who has been in a place where Medicine Sans Frontiers slash Doctors Without Borders has operated, while they have complaints about Doctors Without Borders, are like, it's good that there's more doctors here. We fucking need them. 
Um, and you know, it's like the UNHCR, plenty of things to complain about UNHCR at every refugee camp I go to. Also, people have fucking water filters and tents and shit because of UNHCR, which isn't nothing. It's a damn sight more than nothing. And it's a damn sight more than any of these long-termist motherfuckers are doing for people who are, I don't know, displaced by war. Yeah. And it like, I, I, some of the things that they're doing is like this this very strange kind of attempt to calculate and create markets for human life and human suffering, right? Yeah. Which you see a lot if you work, like I've worked in nonprofit, I've, I've worked in, in disaster response, I've seen some of these things on the ground. And it, 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 you see these bizarre fucking decisions being made by, by someone in an office who has likely never been on the ground of these situations. And it, it inevitably results in it's it, within these big organizations like the Red Cross and MSF, but um, also on a governmental level, right, with people not having the autonomy to respond in a situation to reduce human suffering and instead to be told to do something which is supposedly evidence-based based on someone who's looked at the wrong criteria and come to the wrong conclusion hundreds of miles away. And it's incredibly yeah, I mean, it's, fucking yeah. callous. It's bureaucrats, right? And it's like we've, 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 we've somehow managed to create like the absolute worst possible nightmare system of you have a bunch of government bureaucrats and then you also have a bunch of sort of private. Se- you have, you, you, we have we have like different. We're, we're we're watching a collision of different kinds of private sector bureaucrats. Like you have you you have your sort of NGO bureaucrats. You have and then you, you know and then you have these billionaires who are also just fucking bureaucrats. And all of them are just doing box ticking. And we get like just the absolute worst nightmare fusion of horrible bureaucracy and capitalism, which yeah. is a great yeah. way to run programs to so- have people not die. And like so much of this comes from what that the whole like Freakonomics thing to me strikes me as like we like you said reading the Wikipedia article about a subject and then applying trying to find out where you can apply a market to it and then yeah, posting that as the solution. It's stuff we have the episodes we're dropping on bastards. Well, the week before this episode will air are about like why the rent is so damn high. And one of the complaints I have mm-hmm. is that there's a specific class of media people who the only answer they will accept is because uh, there's not enough multifamily zoning, which is just a part of why the rent is so damn high. And reducing it to just that ignores um, the price fixing software that tens of millions of Americans uh, like landlords use. Um, it ignores shit like Airbnb. It ignores like yeah, the it, fucking problems in the construction industry, the lingering effects of the 2008 crash. It's very frustrating. And it's the, the these kind of like Freakonomics guys like to do the same thing. Like it, the, the fucking Freakonomics dude in particular, one of the things he got famous for is being like, uh, you know, the drop in crime in the 90s, this unprecedented fall in crime was due to abortion, which zero, I will say again, zero people who are experts on the topic of crime in America agree with. What they will say is actually there's a shitload of different things that contributed to the decline in crime. And there's a good chance that abortion had an impact. Uh, a bigger impact was probably getting the lead out of like reducing environmental lead, although that gets overstated too. There's all sorts of different shit, including like air conditioning. Just the fact that like, yeah, yeah. yeah now more people have air conditioning. And guess when yeah. violence is highest in the summer when people are stuck around each other outside and like all sorts computer of shit. Computer games, anyway, computer games stop this, people doing crimes because they've got something else to do. But it's it you want to if you're going to be doing the kind of like if you're going to be doing TED Talk fucking uh, uh, public works philosophy, then it helps to just be able to like make one big Malcolm Gladwell style fucking reveal. Anyway, that's how all these people exist and how all of their morality is informed after 2013. Friedman uh, is kind of like followed up by this guy named William McAskill, who is currently the he's a Scottish philosopher 
Um, which God, it's easy to get called a philosopher these days. Um, and <laughs> he is, he is a personal friend of Elon Musk. Uh, when uh, okay. Musk's text messages got released as part of that court filing, some of them were with McCaskill, um, who was considering like putting a bunch of money into buying Twitter. They and ultimately decided not to. I think because they just like it seems like McCaskill just didn't trust that Musk had any sort of plan. So he is, I will say this, not an idiot, um, but he's wrong in ways that are are deeply fucked up. And he wrote a book that is currently a bestseller. It was published in August called What We Owe the Future. And the gist of this is that like it's merging this kind of effective altruism with what's called long termism, which is this argument that morally we have to consider the impact of our actions as not just on people alive today, but in future people, which is fine. There's actually a lot to that idea, but the way it always works out is we can't pay attention to problems that people are suffering. Now we have to, we have to work on saving the world from these bigger problems. Um, and again, it's almost, it's almost exclusively used as an argument for guys like Musk to like, well, we shouldn't tax billionaires out of existence because I, you know, I see this that with clarity, the problems that we face and the long-term solution is for me to be able to push for these specific things that I think are the only way to save humanity, right? I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. Let's talk about McCaskill again. Um, when he was at Oxford, he's an Oxford boy, James. Um, oh, uh, look at that. We've had some bangers. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, he, he started a group called Giving What We Can in 2009, uh, and members were supposed to give away 10% of what they earned to the most cost-effective charities possible, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that idea, basically. And it was like, it's supposed to be basically a lifelong promise that like, you know, we're all, because you assume Oxford people, a lot of them are going to wind up making very good money, you know, as we... Yeah move into our careers, this will be a more and more influential kind of giving. Um, but yeah, <laughs> drop the ball if they'd had me there. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those meetings might have gone a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Living in his car. Uh, yeah. Over time, though, he's kind of moved into he's merged this. And, and again, the, the whole effective altruism movement, a lot of it does start reasonably with people being like, are these charities we're donating to working? How can we make sure they're effective? Like, what can we do to make giving um, work better? Which is, again, perfectly fine, but it very quickly gets married to this kind of long-termist thinking. Um, and they focus instead of stuff like, for example, funding hospitals, stuff like preventing an artificial intelligence from killing everybody or like <laughs> sending people to distant planets, which are like cool and sci-fi and everything, but also deeply unrealistic. I'll say it right now. Our, our threat is not that an AI kills us all. There's certainly a threat that different kind of artificial intelligences are used by authoritarians to make life worse for everybody. But by the way, Peter Thiel is a big backer of uh, effective altruism. He's one of the people building that fucking AI. Um, this is a guy who wrote that thing about earning to give, right? Like that he was like, this is a guy who did the, yeah, okay, I'm familiar with this. He's made a like who, a promise to never take more than... $31,000 or something in income over the course like uh, of a year in his life and give yeah, everything who, else to charity. He gives all his book profits to charity, but he yeah, also it, runs an organization that is spending more and more on keeping its people comfortable because I guess he doesn't have the money personally to spend. Anyway, I think there's some but, sketchy shit there. Yeah, this whole idea, and I'm sure we're going to get to this, right? Like, like it, 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 it completely overlooks our obligation morally to agitate for structural change. Right. Like it says yeah. that like 
if you can become a billionaire through whatever bullshit, evil, fucking exploitative grift you can, and then give 90% of that away, you're still perpetuating a system in which one grifter gets rich and thousands of people die without fucking clean water. But that's okay because you also donated some water filters or whatever. Like, And it's not okay. Yeah. And it makes me very angry, actually. I'm yeah. Angry now. It, it, yeah, it makes me angry too. And it's one of those things, if you look at like, here's all the charities that McCaskill and his organization are putting hundreds of millions of dollars into, they're not all bad. A lot of them are good and I'm glad that money's going there. But there's always this strain of deeply unsettling logic running through it. Now, I want to quote from a Time article that I, I think kind of gets, in a very subtle way, has this guy's number. When I start thinking in practice, if you've got if you've got some things that look robustly good in both the short and the long term, that definitely makes you feel a lot better about something that is only good from a very long term perspective, he says. This year, for example, he personally donated to the Lead Exposure Elimination Project, which aims to end childhood lead exposure, and the Atlas Fellowship, which supports talented high school students around the world to work on pressing problems. Not all issues are equally tractable, but McCaskill still cares about a range. When we met in Oxford, he expressed concern for the ongoing political crisis in Sri Lanka, though admitted he he probably wouldn't tweet about it. The answer, he believes, is to be honest about it. In philanthropy, big donors typically choose causes based on their personal passions, an ultra-subjectivist approach, McCaskill says, where everything is seemingly justifiable on the basis of doing some good. He doesn't think that's tenable. If you can save someone from drowning or 10 people from dying in a burning building, what should you do, he proposes. It is not a morally appropriate response to say, well, I'm particularly passionate about drowning, so I'm going to save one person from drowning rather than the 10 people from burning. And that's exactly the situation we find ourselves in. And like, no, it is not. That is nonsense. Because among <laughs> yeah, other yeah. things, if you're a random person uh, and you have a choice between saving uh, someone from drowning or 10 people from dying in a burning building... Well, you actually probably don't because saving people from drowning is a really difficult technical sk skill, which is why people usually die when they try to rescue yeah. other folks yeah, who are the, drowning. Yeah, the, the guy, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh died yes, trying to save yes. a guy from drowning. It's, it's like, really hard and dangerous. And also, so is rescuing people from a burning building, which is why we yeah. have firefighters. And guess what? A lot of firefighters may not be very good at saving people from drowning because they have not trained for that. They are different yep. skills. These are both problems, <laughs> well, but they're different skills. But what if you instead spent that time uh, buying some Tesla stocks and then you yeah. sold them and instead invested in, uh, I don't know, fucking yeah. something that stops water from, from drowning it's, people? It's a non like, like, none it's of the problems bullshit. we have are, are none of the problems, I'm, I'm going to say right now, 0% of the problems we have are the result of some sort of like, lifeguard firefighter standing in between yeah. a burning building and like a yacht race gone wrong and going, Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the tra he's doing the trolley problem. Like he, he's, yeah. he's just, he's trying to do the trolley problem. Mm -hmm. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. he's talked about Sri Lanka too because it's like this is the perfect example this is the perfect example of a political crisis that is like completely intractable to all of these like none of these people donating to charities can like do literally anything about that because that's actually you know like this like the crisis of Sri Lanka is a is is a is a both both is a like it is is both a sort of short-term crisis of this like you know, like utterly horrific genocidal political elites, and then also a sort of long term crisis about like the sort of structural position of like specific countries and sort of the the, the yeah. like global colonial system. This is not something any of these people can solve. The only the only thing yeah. the only way any of these people could solve this is if the people of Sri Lanka like just expropriated them. Yeah, but you know, but he, because because these because these people like because Sri Lankans do not have access to this guy and like six guns. Right. Yeah. There's no there, there's no way, you know, he, he can just sort of sit there in his yep. chair going, well, it's a crisis. I'm going to tweet about it. I'm not going to yeah. tweet about it. He's not going to tweet about it. I can tweet about it. Yeah, I, I, will, I will simply talk to newspapers about it instead yeah. of tweeting. What, what I would say is that, like, here's the actual solution to the stupid problem this guy came up with. Well, if we were to tax all of the billionaires to the point that they weren't billionaires and then put that into a massive new like works progress fund that instead yeah. of like just building national parks provided like rental assistance to millions of Americans in exchange for them learning how to fight fires and getting basic life saving care and getting trained in things um, like that so that they could deal with the consequences of climate change and be able to protect their communities effectively and be incentivized to gain the actual technical skills that would allow them to protect people. Well, then you would have more people capable of saving someone from a burning building or from drowning. Um, but anyway whatever that's 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 my that's my pie in the sky leftist solution to that <laughs> is use funds taken from the rich in order to incentivize people to gain the skills that will allow them to protect their communities in the event of disasters um anyway whatever uh so over the last decade all of this thinking has increasingly given way from a wonky theory on charitable giving by big-hearted guilt-ridden millennial kids and that's that's how this guy is always framed in articles mccaskill is he's like in fact i'm gonna fucking i'm gonna scroll down here to my notes and i'm gonna find the section of the article to like show you the way he gets fucking 
talked about in all of these. Quote, 13 years ago, William McCaskill found himself standing in the aisle of a grocery store, agonizing over which breakfast cereal to buy. If he switched to a cheaper brand for a year, could he put aside enough money to save someone's life? Like, that's the... Yeah, the sort of thoughts that you have when your engagement with global poverty is in the fucking Cheerios aisle. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of Waitrose in Oxford, I'm sure. Like, no, fuck off. Sorry, I'm so fucking angry at this shit. And it's it's clearly, very clearly, I can see that this is going towards an excuse for incredibly wealthy people paying fuck all in taxes because they claim that that that's not an efficient way to do things and they completely ignore all these structural things which have to exist for their effective altruism to occur in the first place right yeah it's um anyway uh, this is effectively like over the years given away from this again kind of this wonky theory by guilty millennial kids to this pop philosophy for the fintech set because that's how these guilt-ridden millennial kids wound up making a bunch of money um and yeah that time article gives like i i just want to read another quote from it about uh, one of the other guys who's involved in putting a lot of money into uh, McCaskill's organization. Quote, Mr. Bankman-Fried makes his donations through the FTX Foundation, which has given away $140 million, of which $90 million has gone through the group's future fund towards long-term causes. Mr. McCaskill and Mr. Bankman-Fried's relationship is an important piece in understanding the community's evolution in recent years. The two men first met in 2012, when Mr. Bankman-Fried was a student at MIT with an interest in utilitarian philosophy. Over lunch, Aww. Mr. Bankman-Fried said that he was interested in working on issues <laughs> related is. to animal welfare. <laughs> Mr. McCaskill suggested he might do more good by entering a high-earning field and donating money to the cause Ah, and by working ah. for it directly. Mr. Bankman-Fried contacted the Humane League and other charities, asking if they would prefer his time or donations based on his expected earnings if he went to work in tech or finance. They opted for the money, and he embarked on a remunerative career, eventually founding the cryptocurrency exchange FTX in 2019. (laughs) Oh, First off, that guy absolutely did not call any charities. Um, Sorry, this was a four... This was from the Forbes article I used, not the Time article. Um, First off, I don't believe that he... But if he did, it was something like, hey, I don't have any skills or training. Do you want money or do you want me to volunteer? And they were like, who the fuck is this kid? Like, we don't don't need another asshole wandering around here trying to touch the cats. Um, (laughs) Send us your check. Yeah, and and so instead of, I don't know, getting trained as a vet tech or something where he would actually be able to help animals... He founded a cryptocurrency exchange and contributed to the burning of massive amounts of carbon that will contribute to mass deforestation and the deaths of animals around the world. That's good. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's another aspect of this which I think is sort of underexplored, which is that utilitarianism is genuinely one of the greatest evils humanity has ever created. Every <laughs> yeah. every bad decision anyone has ever made, if you look behind it, you can find utilitarianism. Like it, it's the basis, the basis of all neoclassical economics. An, it's, yeah. it's, it's horrible, awful it's shit. Engine, Everything yeah. bad in the world traces back to utilitarianism. Yeah. It, it is an engine that allows rich people to feel good about hurting poor people. That's that's what it yes. is. But and that's what yeah. I think this all makes clear. So the actual rhetoric from these people is always like it's it, especially if you're just kind of encountering it out in the wild. It's hard to argue with a lot of the time because they'll be like, well, look, we need to look at what's going to help the most people. And, and that's why we're you know setting up. None of this matters if we don't deal with this problem or that problem. It, it, and it's it's tailor made to sound profound. And again, in like a TED talk or the website for some charitable giving organization aimed at getting you to like put 10 percent of your income to long termist causes. But again, the fucked up shit crusts kind of around the edges for the most part, in lines like these from a time profile on McCaskill. 
The first public protest against African-American slavery was the 1688 Germantown Quaker uh, petition. Slavery <laughs> was only yeah, slavery was only abolished in the British Empire in 1833, <laughs> decades later in the US and not until 1962 in Saudi Arabia. History encourages McCaskill to favor gradual progress over revolution. Abolition, he says, is maybe the single best moral change ever. It's certainly up there with feminism and they're extremely incremental. They don't seem that way because we enormously shrink the past, but it's almost 300 years we're talking about. Um, that wasn't the result of incremental change. It was the result against the people who owned slaves fighting viciously against any attempts to end slavery. Yes. Like, yeah, it yeah. was a it was a battle. It was a series of, in fact, a series of revolutions in a lot of cases, including like the Haitian Revolution and guys like John Brown. There were a shit bleeding Kansas. There were a shitload of people died fighting in order to end slavery. Like the Civil War, dude. What do you call that? That's not incremental. A million people shot each other to death. You know, and insofar as we can talk about sort of incremental progress, it's stuff like, okay, so the, the, like, the slaves in Haiti freed themselves by means of revolution and then sent a bunch of guns and weapons to people in Latin America so that their armies could march through Latin America and end slavery. Like, many revolutions had to occur to end slavery because it was a powerful system at the center of global capital that a lot of entrenched and heavily armed interests were willing to die to maintain. Which also is fun because I, 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 Bet, I bet if you look through these people's supply chains, and this is almost certainly true of Elon Musk's supply chains, like, well, I mean, okay. Musk's supply chains in China, you can have some kind of debate as to whether the kinds of forced labor you're going to be encountering are slavery. Like, I, I, I bet if you look through 90% of the people who are effective altruists, you can find slavery in their supply chains. <laughs> yeah. And their argument will yep. be like, well, I can't yeah. end slavery in my well, supply chain because uh, I guarantee uh, it. They're all in than... the tech industry. And like yeah, nobody like, has a laptop or a fo- smartphone without the use of rare earth minerals that are yep. like yep. acquired via slavery. It's, it's the same thing if you're wearing clothes, you have something that slavery was involved in because the garment <laughs> yeah. industry, slavery is literally inextricable from it. Like the company that has tried the hardest to remove slavery from their from their production line, Patagonia, yeah, um, still continually up. finds like, oh no, there's some more. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're pretty good um, about calling it out, but yeah, they, yeah, they put a lot of money into that shit, and they yeah, still. It is hard. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to read another fun quote from the Forbes article. Mr. Bankman-Fried said he expected to give away the bulk of his fortune in the next 10 or 20 years. If you're worried about existential risks of a really bad pandemic, you sort of can't stall on that, Mr. Bankman-Fried said in an interview. That is how his text messages popped up among hundreds of others sent to Mr. Musk. Mr. Bankman-Fried ultimately did not join Mr. Musk's bid. I don't know exactly what Elon's goals are going to be with Twitter, Mr. Bankman-Fried said in an interview. There was a little bit of ambiguity there. He had his hands full in the months that followed as cryptocurrency prices crashed. The Twitter deal has been volatile in its own way, with Mr. Musk trying to back out before recently announcing his intention to follow through with it after all. In August, Mr. Musk retweeted Mr. McCaskill's book announcement to his 108 million followers with the observation, worth reading, this is a close match to my philosophy. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the surface of where we are now. Um, it is not it doesn't quite get at all of the things that are deeply fucked up. And for that, I wanted to quote from another article um, I found on Aeon, uh, A-E-O-N. Uh, it's an yeah. essay by, uh, God, let me get the, the author here because it's it's quite good, about long-termism. It's an essay called Against Long-Termism by Emil P. Torres, a PhD candidate at uh, a university in Hanover in Germany. 
uh, Leibniz Universität. I don't know. I, I feel silly every time I try to say German, so I'm not going to try that hard. But the article is very good, um, and it kind of gets at how this effective altruism movement has merged with long-termism in a way that specifically exists to buoy the interests of wealthy authoritarians around the world. Quote, this has roots in the work of Nick Bostrom, who founded the grandiosely named Future of Humanity Institute, FHI, in 2005, and Nick Beckstead, a research associate at FHI and a program officer at Open Philanthropy. It has been defended most publicly by the FHI philosopher Toby Ord, author of The Precipice, Existential Risk and the Future of Humanity. Long-termism is the primary research focus of both the Global Priorities Institute and an FHI-linked uh, organization directed by Hillary Greaves and the Forethought Foundation, run by William McCaskill, who also holds positions at FHI and GPI. Adding to the tangle of titles, names, institutes, and acronyms, long-termism is one of the main cause areas of the so-called effective altruism movement, which was introduced by Ord in around 2011 and now boasts of having a mind-boggling $46 billion in committed funding. It is difficult to overstate how influential long-termism has become. Karl Marx in 1845 declared that the point of philosophy isn't merely to interpret the world, but change it. And this is exactly what long-termists have been doing, with extraordinary success. Consider that Elon Musk, who has cited and endorsed Bostrom's work, has donated $1.5 million to FHI through its sister organization, the even more grandiosely named Future of Life Institute. This was co-founded by the multi-millionaire tech entrepreneur Jan Talin, who, as I recently noted, doesn't believe that climate change poses an existential threat to humanity because of his <laughs> adherence to the long-termist ideology. Meanwhile, the billionaire libertarian and Donald Trump supporter Peter Thiel, who once gave the keynote address at an effective altruism conference, has donated large sums of money to the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, whose mission is to save humanity from superintelligent machines and is deeply intertwined with long-termist values. Other organizations, such as GPI and the Forethought Foundation, are funding essay contests and scholarships in an effort to draw young people into the community. While it's an open secret that the Washington, D.C.-based Center for Security and, and Emerging Technology, CSET, aims to place long-termists within high-level U.S. government positions to shape national apology. In fact, CSET was established by Jason Matheny, a former research assistant in FHI who's now the deputy assistant to U.S. President Joe Biden for technology and national security. Ord himself has, astonishingly for a philosopher, advised the World Health Organization, the World Bank, the World Economic Forum, the U.S. National Intelligence Council, the U.K. Prime Minister's Office, Cabinet Office, and Government Office for Science, and he recently contributed to a report from the Secretary General of the United Nations that specifically mentions long-termism. The short answer is that elevating the fulfillment of humanity's supposed potential above all else could non-trivially increase the probability that actual people, those alive today and in the near future, suffer extreme harms, even death. Consider, as I noted elsewhere, the long-termist ideology inclines its adherents to take an insouciant attitude towards climate change. Why? Because even if climate change causes island nations to disappear, triggers mass migrations, and kills millions of people, it probably isn't going to compromise our long-term potential over the coming trillions of years. If one takes a cosmic view of the situation, even a climate catastrophe that cuts the human population by 75% for the next two millennia will, in the grand scheme of things, be nothing more than a small blip, the equivalent of a 90-year-old man having stubbed his toe when he was two. So this is evil, right? Like, yeah. this is like, this is vicious and vile and cruel. And it's one of those things, there's a, a book that I've talked about on the show a couple of times um, that is, is quite popular called Ministry of the Future. Um, and I think it's a very good book. And one of the attitude, like the basic premise of it is that climate change is addressed finally and the worst 
aspects of it are are dealt with and like begin to be repaired because of the establishment of an organization called the Ministry of the Future. It's this international organization that exists to like look out for the interests of unborn people and animals and plant species. And part of how they do this is by murdering billionaires in their beds. Uh, and blowing up planes to end international air travel, which is so there's a verse like, again, the idea that like, we should be thinking about people and and living creatures who have not yet been born is reasonable. And the reasonable conclusion of that is, and so we should deal with things like climate change and stop like thoughtlessly degrading our environment so that people in the future will be able to live a quality life. Um, the argument that these long-termists are making is, no, that's foolish because in a trillion years, none of it will matter. And I intend to be alive in a trillion years because I will be an immortal machine man, billionaire forever. You know, it's, the thing about this- Fuck like, these like, people. Like, these people fucking suck. It's like, the thing about this, if, if you believe this, the only, literally the only thing that you should spend your time doing is trying to dismantle every single nuclear weapon on the planet. Like, you, you, you should be forming your own private armies to, yeah. like, storm military bases to destroy nukes. And none of them will ever fucking do this. All these people will back candidates who, like, want to have more nuclear weapons. All these people who will back candidates who, like, like, you know, I, I, I wonder how many of these people personally supported dropping a nuke in the middle of a rock in 2004. Like, <sighs> God. Yeah, I, anyway, this is probably, that's probably enough. I, I wanted to, at some point, I think we will be doing a more detailed look into some of these people and a more detailed look into some, maybe, maybe as a bastards episode, but this is just getting more relevant. And I wanted to give people, I wanted to connect them with some, like some, some resources, uh, particularly that article on Aeon about, uh, the, the dangers of long-termism and, uh, yeah. Uh, Anyway, be, be advised. This is what the fucking assholes who, have spent like think about how many cool things the tech industry has actually made in the last decade. It's it's not many, right? Like it's mostly been vaporware. Like most of the different big apps and stuff have all are in the process of collapsing right now. That's why the industry is falling apart. Very you little value has been created as we record this in the metaverse. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Without I can, legs, this it's time. like you're sitting right next to me, James. Except for you have no laying legs and your mouth is open in an endless wordless scream. Mm-hmm. Um. Finally, yeah, uh, anyway, th- that's what these assholes want to do. What they've done to the internet, sucking the vibrancy and the life and like the freedom out of this this incredible creation and turning it into uh, an engine for sucking your personal data out and marketing things to you and making you angry all the time as much as possible and convincing your parents and grandparents that fucking Joe Biden's been replaced by a, a lizard man. Um, like the people who did that uh, now think yeah. that we can't take care of people today because that would distract from our mission to take care of people who have never been born a trillion years from now. Um, anyway, fuck them. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.